Hi, this is Nathan. My passion is to provide Christ-centered Bible teaching and resources that glorifies God and will encourage and equip you to grow spiritually and live a Christ-centered life. If you would like more resources to help you understand the Word of God and cultivate a passionate love for Jesus that turns the world upside down, please visit deeperchristian.com. Now, grab your Bible as we dive into this message from God's Word. Uh, Well, we've been in the book of Philippians, uh, so if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. And I know some of you haven't been in the, the study as we've been walking through all of this, uh, but we've been looking very specifically at verse 8 over the last several weeks and fleshing out what does it mean to have a Christian mindset. Uh, originally, when I was going back through Philippians chapter 4, uh, the whole agenda, at least for me, was to say, okay, in this day and hour, which is true in every day and every hour, how does how a Christian supposed to think? How are we supposed to function? Uh, what are we to set our mind upon? How are we supposed to just engage the world? Uh, what is supposed to be going on in my mind, regardless of what is going on around me in the culture? And so I just thought it'd be fun for my own personal study to just kind of study out Philippians chapter 4, because the whole book of Philippians is about mindset. And I was looking at verses 4 down through verse 9. And uh, we've been slowly walking through all this. And we've been in verse 8 for quite some time, but whew, today and then Thursday uh, is the last two words in our little verse. Oh, it's going to be a good week. Uh, and then next, our next week, we'll uh, wrap up with verse 9 and, and, and kind of conclude this whole section. Uh, so we're coming, we're coming to an end, uh, at least of this particular study. Uh, but since a lot of you haven't been here for the studies, uh, what I'd like to do is just read Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, and read down through verse 9. And again, we're going to look specifically at verse 8. Uh, so here's what Paul writes, Philippians 4, verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then here's what we've been focusing on, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, Look again at verse 8. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Uh, Paul says there's supposed to be something going on in your mind. Uh, that we are to literally fill up your mind. That word think uh, is that same word that shows up in Romans chapter 6 for reckoning. It's that reckon word, which is really fascinating to me. Uh, but the idea is not just to ponder. The idea is not just to dwell upon. The idea is to actually fill up your mind. And as a result, all of your actions and all of your life flows from that reality. And so if you think about just how you function in life, you realize that all of your actions flow out of your out of your mind. It first starts in your mind, then it flows out of your mouth or through your life. 
And so Paul is saying that there should be a guard, a boundary for your mind. And he uses the term in our passage, whatever, six times. So he says things like whatever is true, whatever is honorable, and goes through this list. And I've been saying this in every single study, but the word whatever is not a, not a limitation. This is not an, oh, bummer, I, I now can only think about these couple of things. This actually, the word idea or the idea of whatever is this freeing idea. It's like, just think about whatever you want as long as it stays in this realm. So this is not a restriction. This is a freedom thing. This is not a, oh, bummer. This is a, woo, isn't this exciting? I can think about whatever as long as it falls in this list. And again, we've walked through all these, but you can think about whatever you want. If it's true, if it's honorable, if it's right, if it's pure, if it's lovely, if it's commendable. And then he shifts his gears in these last two. If you, if you look at the passage, he gives six whatever statements, right? And then he says at the very end of this, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Uh, a lot of scholars presume that this, these, these last two, the excellence and praiseworthy, is the summary statement of the first six. And if you want to go with that, sounds great to me too. Uh, if you don't want to go with that, sounds, sounds, that sounds great too. In other words, I, I don't know if that actually matters. Because he's just in this flow and this tone. Uh, the word there, if, uh, probably could even be ba- better translated since. Uh, for example, since there are things that are excellent and worthy of praise, think on these things. And again, whatever you want to do with all that, I don't know if it actually matters. But you've got to see the tone of what Paul is saying. He's just saying there's no limitation to all this. There is freedom to think about anything on this list. And as we've been walking through the list, do you know what every single thing on this list points to? Jesus. And of course, there's some undercurrent stuff and there's some outflow stuff like the, when we got to the word lovely, it just, just tickled me to no end because the idea of lovely is just whatever just brings delight in your heart, whatever just tickles your soul, think about those things too. So this isn't just like, you know, think about Jesus and we have to like, you know, find some little uh, monastery somewhere and we just kind of sit there and just, um, Jesus. That's not the passage. The passage is, hey, he has created great and marvelous things. So dwell upon him and all that he has made and his goodness. And, but the things that he does in your life that brings pleasure and delight and just, just go crazy with Jesus seems to be the emphasis of this whole passage. So as you come then into this, these final two, again, they're very similar, but we're going to look at the one called excellence. He says, if there's any excellence, think about these things. Uh, the word excellence is the Greek word arete, arete. And uh, what's fascinating is this word was one of the most common words used in classical Greek culture. They use this for everything. Uh, for example, um, how, how's dinner? Excellent. Phenomenal. Uh, that baseball player's arm, how does, wow, he has an excellent arm. Hey, that piece of land I just purchased, woo, excellent. And they would use that word in like all those kind of scenarios. That, that it, it described, let me, let, me, let, me get, let me get the list here. It described land, animals, parts of the body, the gods, bravery, position. Do you know what my position is? Excellent. I mean, just, they just use this word for everything. In fact, one of the uh, Greek gods, was her name was Arite. 
and she was the goddess of goodness, virtue, and valor. Uh, the Olympics are starting here in the next week. And you realize, if, if you decide to watch the crazy thing, what you're going to hear over and over and over is, "Woo! that person is the best in the world in that sport. That they have reached an excellent level. That their position in whatever it is that they're doing is, been, is excellent. See, that, that's that word. And in culture, do you realize that we use that idea of excellence for a whole bunch of things? And we just go crazy. And that's what the Greek culture did. And they just started using that word for, for excellent for everything. They're just like, wow, this thing is excellent. This, hey, you're excellent. I'm excellent. Everything's excellent. Now, the word itself, uh, it's interestingly, it's tied to this idea of ethics or virtue. But it has this idea of moral excellence, outstanding goodness, and excellence of character. And then I, I really love this, this idea. It's the excellence of a person or a thing that enables it to achieve its end or a purpose. Let me say it again. That might be helpful. It's the excellence of a person or a thing that enables it to achieve its end or its purpose. And again, the culture, even of our day, is all wrapped up in this idea of excellence. But it's interesting as you come to Scripture, it's like the Bible goes out of its way not to use that word. Isn't that fascinating? It's like there's this word that is all over the place in classical Greek literature. Uh, here, here's a word that is used in just the common everyday thing, and it was just crazy. I mean, it's just it's used all the time. But then as they were coming to the scriptures and, and writing the word of God, it's like, the, it's like God purposely said, we're not using that word. Now, in the Old Testament, the word shows up six times, just six times. And every single time the word is used in the Old Testament, it refers to God, that he is excellent, that he is the one worthy of praise, that, that his glory is majestic. It's that kind of an idea, that, that he is the excellent one, that he's the one that only has, or, or maybe he's the only source of true moral excellence. That if you want, you know, if you want to understand ethics, it is God alone who, who's the definition of ethics. It's kind of that tone. That, that was the Old Testament. As you come into the New Testament, the word only shows up in four verses. Now, it shows up five times, but there's one verse that has it twice. Four times in the New Testament. Two of those times, it is specifically referring to God. And then the other two times, the other two verses, is specifically referring to us as believers. One of them being here in Philippians 4.8. That your mind as a believer is to be filled up with things that are excellent. Uh, the other time that is referred to you uh, is in 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want to read this because I, I think this is phenomenal. Because in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, the word shows up three times. Again, it's one of those verses that is speaking about God's excellence. And then there's a verse where it's used two times speaking about our excellence. Now, I want you to just listen to this because I think it's just profound. And it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, so 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to read down to verse 7. Peter writes, For God's, his divine power, speaking about Jesus, think about this. His divine power has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Love that verse. 
that everything you need in life is found in one single place. What is it? Jesus. And then he goes on, through the true knowledge of him who has called us, think about this, you've been called, by his own glory and excellence. Isn't that a cool thought? So think about this. Everything you need for life and godliness is found in one place, Jesus. And you have been called. And how have I been called? I have been called according to his glory and excellence. So the calling in my life is not of my own excellence. It's not to my own glory. It's to his. Or as Romans eleven thirty six 36 would say, that my life is to be from him and through him and to him for his glory alone. Amen. That, that there's, there's one focus. There's one drive. There's, there's one direction of my life. What is it? It's him. And so there's this calling on my life, and the calling is, is, is according to his glory and excellence. And it uses that word. Now, he continues, and this is phenomenal. He says in verse 4, through these, he has given to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may be, become partakers of the divine nature. Did you hear that? Now, you don't become God. You do not become God. Hello? Right, you are not God. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and yet, we somehow get to share in his very nature. That I don't become God, but yet it's like he's cracked himself open and said, Oh, I have a place for you right here. Just come on. And somehow I get to participate and share in his very life, in his divine nature. And he goes on, he says, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Then he makes this statement, and he's going to give you a list. He says, now, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, add to your faith this word, moral excellence. And to this word, moral excellence, add knowledge. And to your knowledge, add self-control. To your self-control, add perseverance or patience. To your patience, produce or add godliness. To your godliness, brotherly kindness. And to your brotherly kindness, love. It's quite a list. And he starts with this idea that, okay, here's your faith. And what am I to add to my faith? This word. But you realize in the context of the passage, we're not talking about your excellence. We're not merely talking about your moral behavior. What are we talking about? His. Are you, are, do you see the whole flow of that? That, hey, he has given you all things you need for life and godliness. He has called you according to his glory and his excellence. Hey, he's sharing his very life and divine nature with you. He, you've, you've been removed from the corruption of the world through its lusts. So now you have this faith where you are leaning and trusting your full weight upon him. Now we're going to add something to that. What is it? Excellence. Oh, so I have excellence. No. <laughs> we're talking about him. So isn't it fascinating that of all the times this word is used in Scripture, six times in the Old Testament, always refers to God, four, four verses in the New Testament, two of those specifically refer to God's excellence. The other two, one of those is in the context of God's excellence, and the other one is our passage. So I don't think it would be that hard to conclude that when we're talking about thinking of things that are excellent, the biblical tone of this thing is not you. Is that a safe assumption in your mind? In other words, 
it seems like every single time the word shows up, this is not about you turning inward. This is not about your excellence. This is not about, woo, look how phenomenal I am. Look at my pitching arm. See, there's nothing, there's nothing like that in the passage. This is all about him and his work and what he is doing. And if there's any excellence in my life, it's not because I am excellent. It's because he is. So Paul says, guess what you get to think on? That which is excellent. And if you want to look at the other six things in our list and say that the excellence is the summary of the first six, go ahead. I think that makes sense. If you want to say, no, he's adding one more to the list. Fine, add one more to the list. Excellence. But in either case, do you know what every single thing in verse 8 is pointing to? Jesus. Do you know what you're going to go crazy about? Jesus. Do you know what you're going to put your mind upon? Jesus. Do you know what the boundary is for your life? Jesus. And by the way, that's not just a verse 8 thing. That is this thing. The whole Bible declares that, doesn't it? So if you've been listening to this series going, you're saying the same thing over and over. You're just putting a different word in. You're right. (laughs) That's all I'm doing. (laughs) Because that's the reality. Your whole life is to get wrapped up in Jesus. Now, in terms of this idea of excellence, this idea of moral excellence or virtue or uh, ethics, uh, let me give you three ideas of what this means practically for your life. Number one, when we're talking about this idea of think about that which is excellent, number one, this is not about you. Again, it's interesting to me that when you go back to this word in the, in the Greek culture, this was a word that was used for, to talk about everything. It was used for animals. It was used for land. It was used for body parts. It was used for the gods, the Greek gods. It was, this thing was used for behavior. This thing was used for the uh, uh, sporting stuff of the Greek day. The, hey, this word was used to talk about my position. This, I mean, this, this word was just, in fact, this word eventually became known as a word. Uh, Homer started using it to talk about manhood. Oh, ladies, I know you're jealous. But did you know that the classical Greek idea of manhood is excellent? Amen. All right, <clears throat> let's just move on. <clears throat> I mean, this, this word was used for everything. And it was such a common word of the day. And I, and I find it interesting that the Bible, it's like narrows its focus and says, this is not about you. Excellence has never been about you. This has not been about your ability. This has not been about what you prefer. When you look at the excellence of the world, do you realize that the excellence of the world, how, how culture defines excellence, is all based upon comfort, convenience, and a centered reality on, on myself? For example, uh, we go down to the restaurant. If the food is not excellent, don't we send it back? Uh, excuse me, this, uh, this wasn't cooked the way I had asked. Here, bring it back out excellent. And maybe you're like, I don't do that, but you think it. Uh, don't, don't we do this with, uh, in, in the culture, doesn't the culture do this with marriage? That we, we the idea of marriage in our cu- culture is all based on convenience? That I'll, hey, I'm willing to be married until I find a more excellent person, and then I'm willing to drop this to grab this one. Why? It's all about me. See, culturally, let's see, what is excellence in our jobs? Well, if I'm going to be excellent in my job, I'm going to have to stomp on your head and climb the corporate ladder. Why? So I can, I can build my slush pile and I can have my retirement and my, 
And isn't it interesting, in every area of, our, of culture, excellence is defined by me and my comfort and, and, and what I want and my convenience, and it's a self-centeredness. Uh, you have a problem with your internet service, and so you call the, the company, and you expect excellent customer service. If you call them and they're like, we don't care about you, and you can do whatever you want, but we're not fixing it. So there, what would you do? Go to another company. You wouldn't stand for that. You'd be like, excuse me, I am paying you a lot of money. Click, right? I'm canceling this thing. Uh, you go down to the bookstore or hop on Amazon because none of us go to bookstores anymore. But hey, you get on there and you look at the self-help books from the culture. Isn't it interesting? Every self-help book in the culture is based on what? Me. And my excellence. And, and it's, all, it's all focused inwardly. But what if biblically excellence was not about you? What if this wasn't about human achievement and your success and your ability and your strong arm and your good looks and your anything? What if this wasn't about you? What if this really was about him? Which brings us to number two. Number one, this is not about you in terms of excellence. This is all about him. And again, biblically, from a biblical lens, the only one who truly is excellent is Jesus. The only one who is worthy of praise is Jesus. Hey, the only one who is the standard of eth ethics is Jesus. So if you're going to think upon things that are excellent, you realize that it cannot be self-centered. It cannot be inward focus. This thing has to be about Jesus. So what if the excellence of your life was not defined by the culture around you? What if the excellence of your life was defined by Jesus? Who is love? Who is self-sacrificing? who is a servant, who is merciful and kind and good. We realize in Genesis 1 and 2 that we were created in the image of God, that we are image bearers, which means what? We bear his image. Just like the moon does not produce light, it reflects the light of the sun. Do you realize so too you are an image bearer? You don't have light within yourself, but you do reflect something. Wouldn't it be phenomenal if what you reflected was him and his goodness and his excellence and his glory? And if someone looked at your life and just said, wow, your life is so, your life is excellent. You go, ooh, I know. Because it's Jesus. Because I'm merely reflecting the reality of him. That there's nothing good within me. This is only him. Let me give you a couple of passages that show up in the Old Testament where this word excellence is used. It's translated oftentimes praise. But Habakkuk 3.3 says, God comes from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens and the earth is full of his praise. The earth is full of his excellence. Isn't that beautiful? Isaiah 42.12 let them give glory to the Lord and declare his excellence, his praise in the coastlands. Isaiah 43, 21. The people whom I formed, says the Lord, for myself will declare my excellence. Do you know what you're, you were made for? You were made to declare his excellence, not your own. This is not about you. This is all about him. 
Uh, one of my favorite quotes from Christian history was Ian Thomas's statement about the Christian life. And I've said this so many times, you all probably have it memorized. But let me just read it to you afresh. Love this quote, one of my all-time favorite quotes. Ian Thomas said this, The Christian life can be explained only in terms of Jesus Christ. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, your personality, your willpower, your gifts, your talent, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, or your anything, then although you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. What is Ian Thomas saying? He says the only explanation for your life is supposed to be Jesus. That when someone looks at your life, your life should be utterly inexplainable to the world around you outside of one thing, Jesus. That when they look at you, they go, wow, I have no idea how you're living. You must be a Christian because the only explanation for how you're living must be Jesus. Is that true of you? And wouldn't it be amazing if your mind was filled up with that which is excellent and it's not inward focused and it's not about you, it was all about him and what he is wanting to do. And you merely become the image bearer. You become the one that just shines forth his excellence in all the world. This is not about you and your accomplishments and your talent and your wisdom and and your anything. You're a vessel, Paul says, with a crack in it. You're a jar of clay. You're a cracked pot. And Paul says, we rejoice and boast in that reality. Why? Because the glory of God, the excellencies of God have been shoved into that pot, into your life. And if there's a big crack running down the side, guess what comes out? Him. That this isn't for you to hold tight to. Jesus isn't just something that you just kind of like, he's inside of my life, don't you dare touch him. He's inside of your life and he's supposed to ooze out of every pore of your body. You're to think upon that which is excellent. This is not about you. This is all about him. And lastly, really quick, what if the excellence of your life was defined by God's standard called the Word of God? See, rather than looking at what the culture says about marriage, rather than what the culture says about how to raise a family, rather than what the culture says about a job and and what to do with finances, rather than look at the culture, do you realize that this Word gives you clear, gives clarity gives you the moral excellence of how to live. This thing talks about marriage. It talks about dating. It talks about raising a family. It talks about what you do for retirement. This thing talks about how you handle your money. This thing talks about how you talk. This thing talks about bioethics. This, this, this thing, what you should do with your physical bodies. I mean, this, this, thing is, this thing is constantly telling us stuff. What if we realize that this was the standard of excellence in our life. That it's not how culture defines something, it's what Jesus says on the matter. And what if we would take every area of our life and submit it under the authority of the word and say, Jesus, what you say is excellent. And so I'm willing to bend myself under the standard and the authority of your word. And whatever this says, I say yes in my life. And if there's something in my life that doesn't look like your word, then throw it out, change it. Because I I want my life to look like this book. I want to manage my finances like this book tells me to manage the finances. I, I, I want to have a family like this book says a family. See, I, I, want, to, I want to act like, I, I want to act out of my job like this book tells me to act out of my job. I want to treat my body like this book tells me to treat my body. See, what if this became the standard for your life? Which means you're going to have to get into this thing. 
that this can't just be a book you open up on Sunday mornings and then use as a, a coaster the rest of the week or a doorstop. See, see, what if you began to live in this book, not just because it's good information, but because this is the standard of excellence for your life? A couple quick verses. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Paul says, I pray that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and uh, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wouldn't it be amazing if the standard for your life was, Lord, do whatever you want until I'm filled with the fullness of you. Uh, Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for people, knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. What if you realize that everything you did is worship? That whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, you do all for the glory of God. See, uh, John 16, 13. When he, the spirit of truth comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he's going to guide you into all truth. What is that? This stuff, folks. It's the word of God is truth and the word of God in person is truth. And what does the Holy Spirit do in your life? He's leading you into all truth. What if he was the standard of excellence in your life? Again, 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given you all things that you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Do you realize that your mind is supposed to be pondering, dwelling, filled up with everything that is excellent? And then that in turn should flow out into your actions. It should flow out through your lips. See, see what if your mind dwelt upon that which is excellent? And whatever was excellent, oh, just go crazy over it. But this is not about you. This, we're not talking about your excellence. We're not talking about your ability. We're not talking about your wisdom. We're talking about him. And what if he became the standard for your life? What if he was the standard of excellence? And anything in your life that did not look like him has to go. By the way, do you know what we call people who live like that? Yeah, we call them Christians. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, you are the excellent one. And Lord, we admit and we agree with Scripture that even our best attempts at righteousness are but filthy rags. That there is no true excellence within us. And though culture, like the Greeks, talk about the excellence of all things except the one who actually is excellent. Lord, what would it look like in our life if, if you would so turn our gaze to the one who is excellent itself? You are the excellent one. And in you is all that is worthy of praise and glory and adoration. Lord, I pray that you would fill up our minds. You, you would keep a guard on our minds. That, that you would help us focus on the things that are excellent. Which means our mind must be steadfast upon you. Lord, could we not turn within ourselves? Could we not look to our own comfort, our own convenience, our own pampering, our own self-centeredness? Could our lives be wrapped up in you? Because this whole thing is about you. <clears throat> Lord, could you use your word in your life as a measurement rod in our lives 
and that you would measure out our lives and the things that are excellent according to your word, the things that are excellent according to your life, that is what we want our life to look like. That when we have this opportunity to be called according to your own glory and virtue, that, that everything we need for you is, or everything we need for life and godliness is found in you, Lord, could that be the standard by which we are measured by? And Lord, whether we eat or whether we drink, could it all be worship unto you? Lord, let this not be self-focused. Our lives are not our own. We were bought with a price. So Lord, I pray that we would be image bearers in this world and that yes, our lives would be full of that which is excellent, but it's because our lives are full of you. And Lord, when the world gazes upon us and they see excellence, Lord, I pray they wouldn't see our ability, our talent, our wisdom, our looks, our anything. They would be dumbfounded by the reality of Jesus Christ. And Lord, this morning we want to turn our gaze heavenward afresh and we want to declare the excellence of who you are. And so Lord, as we come and we worship, would you just, would you accept our worship and praise because you alone are worthy. You alone are excellent. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for all you're doing in your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen.